Welcome to the Disrupting Obesity Podcast. I'm Charlotte Skeins, and I'll be sharing ways to regain control over your body and lose an extreme amount of weight naturally. Being fat is about so much more than just the food. It's about your relationship with food. That means that dealing with your weight is about more than just the food too. You have to change that relationship. You have to start disrupting obesity. whatever number nine. I feel like that means I should try to get to nine questions. So I'll see what I can do. The last two ask whatever episodes were focused very heavily on calories. So we're going to take a totally different road today. But if you're looking for information that has really anything to do with calories and weight loss, check out episodes 38 and 39. 39 is called common calorie questions. And it's 13 of them from as basic as what's a calorie to more complicated questions, looking at daily versus weekly tracking and just achieving a calorie deficit. Today, we're gonna look at some non-calorie questions. Take a look at some of the other issues you deal with when you're trying to lose a whole lot of weight. And I'm introducing a brand new segment. So first up, I gained five pounds with my cycle. What do I do? Well, I did too. Uh, I could even swing a little further on the old period pendulum. It happens. It's a hormone thing. It's a water thing. If you're anything like me, it's also an I do my worst eating and feel like I'm absolutely starving the week before my period thing. 3A weigh it. Awareness, acknowledgement, accountability. It's the key to changing your relationship with food. And if you're not familiar with my 3A way, episode 12 breaks it down for you. So if you're already aware that your weight goes up at certain points in your cycle, make yourself even more aware. Track it so you know when it's coming. Where are you in your cycle? When you start to feel like you can't eat enough? What kind of foods do you want to eat? If you can anticipate and prepare for a situation, you can handle it way better than if you're just walking around blindfolded and fumble fucking your way through, right? You've got to acknowledge what you're doing. For me, that looks like going, okay, my period must be coming because I'm hungry all the time and I feel like I can't stop eating. It calms me down because I know I'm not just going off the rails, right? I don't have to dig into it and try to figure out what's going on. This isn't about my relationship with food. It's about my relationship with my hormones. But the way I handle it from here on out is about my relationship with food. And that brings us to accountability. I'm okay with eating more when I'm in that week before my period. I'm okay with it because I've been at this for a while. So the second part of that conversation I just had with myself goes something like, no biggie. If I eat more this week, I know I'm going to be less hungry than usual the week after my period. It's balance, self-awareness. That's what's going on here. The key word with all of this is cycle. It's going to go up. It's going to go down. And that's how it balances out. Number two, do you ever struggle with seeing the changes? I look at myself and all I see is the work I have left to do. For sure, I struggle with it, especially when it's just me in the mirror. It used to be a lot harder, but two pretty major things happened. When I was losing my weight, I didn't really see it at all. And it took years after I lost the weight to do things like stop taking clothes that were too big into the fitting room with me um, or avoiding certain kinds of chairs because I was afraid that they wouldn't hold me up. And if you've ever had a chair, 
break from out beneath you, you know exactly the kind of terror that I'm talking about. Or if you've fallen through a mesh chair, like remember the old folding lawn chairs? Mm, yeah, I've gone through one and it's not the only chair that I've broken. And you, you just don't get over that because you slowly lose a couple hundred pounds, right? I mean, maybe, I'm, I'm sure some people do, but I'm not one of them. I kept on self-identifying as a fat girl for a long time to the point where I think I might've been dealing with some body dysmorphia. I couldn't see the changes. The tops of my thighs looked just as big to me at 180 pounds as they did at 330. So what changed? And I'm not being funny here, even though this first one might sound a little funny, but just give me a minute and I'll show you what I mean. Shapewear, like girdles and stuff. I love them. I absolutely love them. And I'm seriously not joking. Compression garments changed so much for me. They changed the way I feel about myself because they helped me to see the ways that my body has changed. They helped me to see past the loose skin that in some places like my arms makes things look nearly twice as big as they actually are. Part of the problem is too that I have no muscle mass or muscle tone, right? Like I'm working on it, but because I don't have those things, when I wear compression garments, I look my size. Like I, I feel like I look my size. And this is a psychological thing just as much as it's an actual physical appearance thing, right? Shapewear, it's a game changer. I had to buy a winter coat this year and here was my choice, right? I could get the size that fits my body and always wear shapewear on my arms and nothing thicker than a long sleeve t-shirt. Or I could get a coat that's two sizes bigger so my arms would fit. And the coat that I just said fit my body is already a full size too big, but I can't get my arms into the size that actually fits my body at all. Not without like ripping the sleeves off as I, as I do it. Yeah. So, but there were no affordable shapewear options for your arms, like at all when I lost my weight, like nothing that would like suck it in. And I was insanely self-conscious about my arms. I've been hiding them 20 years, lots of puff sleeves. I also wasn't clever or crafty enough to think to use pantyhose on my arm, but I've recently learned that that's probably a really bad idea anyway. So yeah, I struggled to see the changes. Sometimes I still do, but both of those things are better than not losing the weight because I get this all the time. Why should I bother? if I'm not gonna see the changes anyway, or if I'm gonna have to deal with a whole bunch of loose skin. Like all of that kind of self-talk is just self-sabotage. It's an excuse to keep eating however much you want. First off, maybe you will see the changes, right? Lots of people do, and that's awesome. You need to give yourself that chance. And secondly, you're always better off with your weight in a healthy range. End of story, right? I don't regret losing the weight at all, ever, ever. I don't wanna die from complications due to obesity. I just don't, right? The loose skin and my sometimes inability to see the changes that I've made, it's inconvenient, right? But it's, it's a better alternative for sure. The second major thing that helped me to stop struggling to see those changes and stop focusing on what I had left to do instead of what I've accomplished was 2016. I'm so happy to still be living in this body that it can pretty much look however it needs to look and I'm just, I'm just going to sort it out, right? My body did something miraculous. It survived. 
five months is a long time to be in the hospital when you're 37 and have no prior underlying conditions. I was pregnant when I got sick, very, I was 32 weeks pregnant and I had midwives and a doctor. I was under pretty close medical care, right? And I was having a geriatric pregnancy. I, I don't know when we're gonna do something about that term. There has got to be a better way to say that I was over 35 and pregnant than that, however. So I was super duper old at 37 and I had a history of pregnancy complications, right? We'd had an early miscarriage. We had an ectopic pregnancy. Then I had a later miscarriage. I had preeclampsia with our oldest. I had polyhydromnios with our middle. So I was being monitored and I'm in Canada. So I didn't have to worry about missing payments or insurance co-pays or anything like that. All I had to do was go to the appointments. So my pregnancies weren't easy, but I didn't have prediabetes or gestational diabetes even. And yeah, I was a hundred plus pounds overweight, but no meds, right? Just the prenatals. But then pancreatitis hit and I got the necrotizing one, special. Um, there's no good kind of pancreatitis to get, but this is a really, a really not good one. It might be the not good one. So pancreatitis is when your pancreas is inflamed. Necrotizing pancreatitis is when it gets so pissed off, it starts to die. I had a front row seat and let me tell you, the show sucks. Having parts of an organ die and liquefy inside my body was not the least painful thing uh, that I've ever had happen. So I've gotten a lot easier on myself since then. It, and it's gotten easier to accept the way my body looks and just be grateful to have it at all. Uh, I was in a car accident the year that I finished getting my weight off the first time. That could have been a whole lot worse, um, but it it wasn't really great either. I did a shitload of physiotherapy, just, just truckloads of it. And I did three and a half years of spinal injections to get me through it. So my body and I had already been through some stuff when pancreatitis hit. I knew what it could do, what it could come back from. I didn't get the full perspective check until the whole teetering on the edge of dying thing that happened for several months, but I lost everything. It was just me and my body in that bed trying not to die. And I wasn't even aware of the dying part. I was so caught up in the pain and the fight that I couldn't see how close I was. I think I must have known intuitively, like subconsciously, but I wasn't laying there thinking about dying. And I know that because I very clearly remember the one time that I did think about it. And it wasn't some big conversation. It was just really just a passing thought. Um, it was in the evening and I had just started to become aware of the passage of time again. I have, I have about a seven week period out of the five months where I have no memories at all, like not a single one. And then they start to come back in moments and then memory becomes a continuous straight line again. But that's only the last couple of months. Most of the whole thing is a mess. I started to lose time on the very first day. I started drifting in and out of consciousness at my local hospital before the airlift. I have memories that I think 
are mostly in order from the first few weeks I was back and forth between the ICU and the step-down unit after the crash C-section, and then it goes black for those seven or so weeks. It was in the couple of weeks between the black time and being able to recognize the passage of time and know where I was in it that I had my moment where I thought about death. I was tired. <laughs> All of me was tired. I was nowhere near out of the woods and it had been just a completely insane ride with no end in sight. But I remembered knowing that if someone was dying and they accepted it and just let go, they would die. And then I passed out. And I totally forgot remembering that little tidbit until a few weeks later when I remembered that I'd remembered. And I thought to myself that if I hadn't died that night, I wasn't going to. And that was the last time I thought about it. I had lots of stuff to distract me from it. Um, chest tubes and procedures, some more close calls, but mostly just the walking, the sitting again, the physio hell, and then the mental and emotional hell of being separated from Sean and our boys. So between the car accident and the pancreatitis and everything that came with it, the years long recovery, losing more than a hundred pounds for a second time, all of it, it shifted my perspective. I see everything a little bit differently. And you might've guessed that I already saw things just a tad differently to begin with, but I see my body differently and I'm very grateful uh, to my body. I think it's doing a great job. Number three, have you been able to get over the hurtful and hateful shit that people said to you? I have. It's that whole perspective check thing again, that the one that we were just talking about a second ago. And here's the perspective. I'm just going to cut right to the chase. It's not about you. Just like the hateful and hurtful shit that people said to me wasn't about me. Once I figured that out, I didn't have to let it go. It just fell away. It all just fell away. It doesn't matter right? And now I've invited all of that into my life by doing what I'm doing. I deal with hurtful and hateful shit semi-regularly, but it's not about me either. And this is going to sound super lame, but I focus on the positive. I see Gladys and her nastiness pop up on my notification screen and I'll get a twinge of anxiety that basically runs right through me. But I've done a fair bit of therapy to deal with my PTSD, when I'm triggered, uh, learning to recognize the physical symptoms that I get. So I'm, I'm getting a lot better at pushing them down, telling myself that every other time I've had to deal with the garbage, it's gone well. And for every tiresome tidbit of trolling that I get, I also get dozens of positive messages. I believe you reap what you sow. So I'm keeping it as positive as I can on my end, and I really feel like it's paying off as a strategy. But I invited the hateful and the hurtful shit into my life by doing what I'm doing now. So I really hope so, but it is balancing out really well. Speaking of Gladys, she loves a bunch of variations on this little nugget. Why would you risk the chemicals in the sugar-free version? And that's the most positive take I've got on that question, because let me tell you, the comment section gets fun anytime I use products with artificial sweeteners in them. The super short answer is that I risk it because the minimal exposure to those chemicals is better for me than being 200 pounds overweight. 
I can expand on it, but really that's the only answer that matters. The complications and potential comorbidities of obesity massively outstrip the dangers Gladys is so worried about. You need to take in significant amounts of this stuff to jeopardize yourself. I'm not a rat or a mouse being, you know, force-fed aspartame through a tube around the clock in a lab somewhere. I'm somebody who eats it every so often. It's going to be fine. And when you're losing weight, using the horrible, horrible chemicals is a better alternative to staying obese. They're a tool. And maybe they're a risk. Okay, fine. Morbid obesity is a guarantee. Well, that was a fun little foray into some of the negativity. And I address it because I feel like I need to. I know I want to keep things positive, but part of being positive for me is combating the shaming that's trying to pass itself off as helpful information sharing, right? There are a lot of anti-sweetener people out there who use bullying tactics that confuse people. And these are people who are already neck deep at conflicting information. So sometimes when I talk about negative things or negative people, it's my way to bring some positive to the table. And that brings us, that brings us to question number five and my super, super shiny new segment. The good for you, Gladys, question of the week. This first one, I think, is quite the little gem. And it wasn't even on a post of mine. This super, super happy Gladys decided to come for me while I was encouraging somebody else. Yeah. The original poster had done a reel where she was talking about how she was struggling since she put on most of the weight that she'd lost. So I commented, just sharing that I'd gained back over a hundred of the pounds that I lost the first time. And I was just, you know, like commiserating with her because it sucks and it's really hard. And up popped Gladys. So she led with, and this is a direct quote, genuinely curious. How do you gain 115 pounds? I'm struggling to gain five. Hmm. And I'm struggling to understand what you're doing engaging with posts for obese people. I'm genuinely struggling to believe that you're curious and not just mean-spirited and rude. I don't do baiting, but I couldn't let that stand either. So here's what I told her. I regained it the same way I ended up 200 pounds overweight, overeating. Uh, I experienced some horrible loss and I just didn't care anymore. I knew I was getting bigger, but I was so emotionally distraught that I just couldn't stop eating. The way I deal with this kind of Gladys is the same as all the others, just the truth, right? I'm not ashamed of who I am or where I was, and I'm not going to let other people who read her good for you, Gladys, question of the week, think that they should be ashamed of themselves either. Uh, but here's the great news. Uh, Gladys has inspired me to create this entire new segment, the good for you, Gladys, question of the week, and the secret to the sauce is the GFY. Yeah. But we're going to make some more lemonade here because now I'm doing a whole episode on what it's like when you put the weight back on because that's something that I'm hearing more and more from you. So, all right, for number six, let's slide on back into the land of encouragement. Please, it's a lot more comfortable over there. Do I have helpful ways to start fresh and move on tomorrow? Grace. Give yourself some grace. Beating yourself up isn't going to help. 
slashing your calories tomorrow isn't going to help. I had someone reach out in the comments last week and she was devastated because she'd gone over by 350 calories that day. She felt like a failure and she wanted to know if she should cut those 350 calories from tomorrow, from the next day. No, that's not a great plan. Let today go and move in tomorrow with a fresh start. Don't spend all day tomorrow carrying today around. Just let it go and keep going. I worked a lot when I was in university. I think a lot of us do. Uh, Sean and I moved into our first place together when we were 19 and I held down four jobs while I was going to school full-time. I had a part-time job waiting tables at a local pizza place. I was a respite worker for a young man with Down syndrome and his family. I worked at a local party store making balloon bouquets on Saturdays, and I had a full-time gig at the first check cashing uh, location to come to our town. And it is the only job I've had that I'm not proud of. Work is work. I don't give a shit where you work. Is it a job? You're honestly earning money? Perfect. Work is work. The gig at the check cashing place wasn't honest work. It was legal, but it wasn't honest. The check cashing part wasn't bad. Like if somebody's willing to pay that kind of a percentage for the convenience of it, fine. But we did payday loans too. And those things are fucking evil. If you've never done one, and I really don't think that you should, um, here's how it works. So you borrow a hundred bucks off your next check. Cool. You get a payday advance. On your payday, the loan company takes a hundred bucks plus the interest and the fees. This was almost 20 years ago, but back then, if you borrowed a hundred on payday, you would owe, it was 118 or $122. So now you're in the hole and you couldn't make the ends meet last week. So guess what happens this week? And you could borrow up to 30% of your pay. You, you didn't have to, but virtually nobody took less than the full 30 points. It was predatory. I could justify it for a while because it was legal. It was a percentage point away from being loan sharking, um, but it was legal. You don't want to start off in the hole. It's a horrible, horrible mindset to be in. And this applies just as much to calories as it does to paychecks. You don't want to start in the hole. It's less about the impact that cutting those calories is going to have on your day and more about the impact that cutting those calories is going to have on your mindset. It's the feeling like you blew it yesterday. So now you're going to feel like you blew it all day today too, which just leads to blowing it again. Each day is a new day. There is no backward, only forward. How do I deal with food waste guilt? I see this one a lot and I feel it big time. I struggled with this both times that I was losing my weight. Food insecurity is a big thing right now and nobody, nobody feels good about throwing food out. For most of us, it feels like throwing money away or taking food out of somebody else's mouth. I'm definitely not here to invalidate those feelings. I can't. Here's the thing though. You have to choose. What's more valuable, your health or the cost of the food? But my main question for you is, are you using your food waste guilt as a form of self-sabotage? Because you probably are. I know I did. I gotta clear this plate. There's hungry kids. Oh, I better just eat this up. Don't wanna throw it out. Sound familiar? You're sabotaging the shit out of yourself. 
put less on your plate. Put what you don't eat into some Tupperware. You know there are workarounds for this. Buy less food. Freeze part of it as soon as you get it home. You've got solutions. You don't have to finish something just because you put it on your plate. You can enjoy food without finishing it. I want to say that again because it feels like a biggie. You can enjoy food without finishing it. Stop sabotaging yourself and stop unnecessarily clearing your plate. It's been a while since I talked about this one, but it keeps coming up, so I'm going to keep talking about it. I keep seeing ads for weight loss gummies. What do you think? Well, I think answering this question is going to get me into trouble with the Gladyses again. That's what I think. But let's do this anyway. They're all garbage. I don't like absolutes, but I'm completely certain on this one. The ads you're seeing for miracle fat-absorbing candies or whatever they claim that they can do are all horseshit. It's snake oil, plain and simple. Some of them might taste good. I have no idea. But universally, they won't make you lose weight. It's garbage. Don't waste your money. And more importantly, don't waste your time. The time you spend taking this crap and waiting for the weight to fall off is time you could be using to actually lose weight. All right, (laughs) I said I'd shoot for nine. So here we go. Last up, what about meal plans? I'm not a fan. That's, That's the short answer. And here's why. They don't do anything to fix your relationship with food. What happens when the meal plan's over? Once your weight's off? What did you learn about yourself and the way you use food to comfort, reward, and cope? What are you going to do now? You need more than a meal plan. And I don't have any to offer you, nothing in the way of meal plans, but I have created a couple of resources for you if you're looking for some help to lose weight. The first one is my free guide, Get Started for the Last Time, and there's a link to it in the notes. The second one is my weight loss workbook. I designed it specifically for people with more than a few pounds to lose. And there's a link for it in the notes too, but it's a country specific link. So the the best way to get your copy is to search for Disruptor plus my name, Charlotte Skeins, on your country's Amazon. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for sending in your questions. Please keep them coming. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes and keep trying, keep tracking. Don't be intimidated and don't give up. You've totally got this. Thank you for listening to Disrupting Obesity with Charlotte Skeins. If you know it's time to take back control, lose the weight and keep it off, reach out to me privately with a direct message on Instagram that says ready so you can start disrupting obesity.